Welcome to the Lead More Podcast, a show where we sit down with leaders of the past and the present to help inspire and create more leaders for the future. And we just did that today with Sioux Falls Mayor Paul Tenhagen. In this episode, we sat down and talked about his origin of leadership story and, and how he went from a CEO of his own company to deciding to move on from that opportunity and run for mayor of Sioux Falls. How did he know it was the right time and, and how does he go through that transition? We also talked about the difficulties of being a politician and what happens behind the scene and whether he's actually made for that. Uh, We explored what 2020 looks like in a leadership role dealing with a global pandemic, racial justice movement, uh, and all these other things. It's been such a crazy year. You're going to love his vulnerability. He shared some great stories, and I think you're going to learn a lot from Mayor Paul Tenhaken. So let's take a listen. I'm here with Mayor Paul Tenhaken. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, 2020, just a normal year for you, right? It's just, you know, the usual, (laughs) you know, pandemics and uh, violence and, you know, social unrest. It's just, you know, another walk in the park in the mayor's office. How how often do people tell you the, uh, you know, hey, you're in politics now. You got a few extra gray hairs, maybe. Oh, I, I, you know, what? I was looking at our family photo, we just got a new family photo. (laughs) And the previous one we had was two years earlier in you can see it, man. I mean, I've I've aged, and yeah. I, I'm not too proud to say I I can see it. My I got more wrinkles, I got more gray. I just look more tired, and yeah. uh, <laughs> it's kind of a bummer to have to admit that. But it really does kind of age you. The job. well, your schedule. I mean, we talk about. I think you've. You know, I can't imagine what your day looks like. Every minute's got to be scheduled in full. Well, pre-COVID, you know, we would get probably thirty thirty-five requests a week of okay. stuff to be at. Um, and you spend a lot of time saying no to that. What's kind of been nice in this COVID world is a lot of events, you know, sadly are canceled. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to go speak at stuff. I'm not sure. expected to be at stuff. So I have had more family time because I'm I'm home in the evenings more yeah. with my family. So so that's been good. But now things seem to be turning again. I mean, the schedule's heating up. I, you know, okay. I just mentioned we got a ribbon cutting, an in-person ribbon cutting today. You know, so some of those sorts of things are starting to ramp back up. Um, we'll get to some of all that stuff, 2020 and COVID and, and being a mayor, but I want to start a little bit with your origin story. You grew up in Northwest Iowa. No, wait, Minnesota. Minnesota. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and you went to school in Northwest Correct. Iowa. When did you come to Sioux Falls? What brought you here? Moved to Sioux Falls in 2000. Um, I chased a girl here um, and we got married. And uh, she finished school at Dort College in Sioux okay. Center, where I went. And then we we moved here in 2000. So we were just married. We moved here. And so, yeah, it'd be 20 years. Uh, it was 20 years of summer that I've lived here in Sioux Falls. Great. And you started uh, in marketing, graphic design? I worked it? in marketing and um, graphics roles. You know, I went to college from 96 to 2000, and that was the the era of just dot-com boom, pets.com yeah. and groceries.com and all these IPOs. And so I went to college wanting to be a web designer. Yeah. And learned on a program called Adobe PageMill, and it was a <laughs> real antiquated web you yeah. know, design software. Um, so started doing graphics and web design stuff right out of the gate, and soon realized I um, I don't like sitting behind a computer all day, and just mm-hmm. looking at a screen. I need to be around people. Yeah. So uh, took some electives at USF, uh, University of Sioux Falls, got an MBA through a working MBA program there, and then moved more into marketing roles till. 2007, 2008, when I started a company called ClickCrane here in Sioux Falls. Yeah, and I guess that's what I'm trying to get at the heart of there is, did you think uh, as a 21-year-old you would be an entrepreneur someday? Or when, did you, how did that Never. spark? Never, man. I, you know, I saw when I was younger just the headaches of entrepreneurship, like dealing with 
taxes and payroll and staffing and buildings and just all the all the headache. Was it in your family or were you exposed no. to it? Or? No. Oh, okay. So entrepreneurship was just never on my radar. Yeah. Never wanted to do it. And really, the one of the impetuses be, be behind starting my own company is I got approached by some people who um, encouraged me to do it. And they were I had some partners early on in my business that mm-hmm. I ultimately bought out, but um, they said, "Hey, it's this. This leap will be easier because we'll be walking alongside you. We started companies. We know how to deal with all the payroll yeah, yeah. tax, all that stuff. And so, I think what scares most entrepreneurs from taking a leap of entrepreneurship is well, a couple things. But the biggest one being, where am I going to get clients to make this business sustainable? Mm-hmm. So you see, a lot of people that just moonlight for forever because that's a scary leap going from moonlighting to full time and." So with these partners I had, they said, listen, we got clients, we got the work. And so yeah. that's a huge relief when you know you're yeah. going to have a built-in kind of business referral stream. Yeah, especially in that services game, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's not re- always recurring and sometimes you build that website and ship it off and got to get the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you started at a great time, right? I mean, this you started 08, right? Yeah. I came back to South Dakota in 09. We were down the hall at yeah. 8th and yeah. Railroad right. from each other. Uh, and yeah, you just had a couple guys at that time and then, gosh, what, 30 employees? Yeah, we grew. So I, I stuck with that company till 2017. At the end of 2017, I exited that. And, and when I did, we had 35 employees uh, at that time. And it was a crazy 10-year ride, man. I absolutely loved it. Probably um, one of the best times of my professional career was, was running that company and um, had a good life uh, in that, you know, income was good. The um, My schedule was such that, you know, I could be gone for a few days mm-hmm. and no one would miss me. The company yep. could kind of run itself and was just really in a good spot, but started to become a little restless with that and complacent. And, you know, for me, I'm a, you know, my faith is very strong to me and started to, to ask myself, what, why am I here on this earth? What's my legacy? What am I doing here? Yeah. And, um, is it to just make money and build websites and build this, you know, 35, 40, 50 person company. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be something more because that existence started to feel a little bit hollow to me. Um, and so I would say probably, like I said, I, it was 10 years with the company, but probably year seven or eight started to get a real restlessness and yeah. a realization that I think my time here is probably going to need to come to an end soon. Interesting. And that, yeah, that's a, it's a weird feeling because yeah, I think a lot of people would say, well, why? Why wouldn't you just keep riding this way? Sure. It's you know it's going well, but yeah. I don't know. I get a little bit of ADD in, <laughs> in those instances, and and uh, just felt it was time to move on. So taking a quick break here to remind you that you can catch all of the Lead More episodes on our website at leadmorepodcast.com, or of course subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Let's get back to the show. Ambitious leaders do have goals that they set. You're a type of person to me. It's like I'm going to do this. I think I remember having coffee. This is around about your 40th birthday that you made that leap. I don't know if it was mm-hmm. a midlife crisis or, uh, but yeah, that, that feeling restlessness. I mean, you had a, this is sometimes viewed as a negative term, which it shouldn't be, but a really great lifestyle business, right? Yeah. You could do the family and do your, your, uh, athletic pursu- pursuits and, and run a great business. But was it conversations? Was it just, you know, in your quiet moments of prayer? Or like, mm-hmm. where did you get this idea that maybe, maybe, maybe a leadership role in politics? Well, you know, I always looked at ClickRain as um, kind of my, those 35 employees were my family, probably a lot like you look at your team and you have been entrusted those people to watch over them, to care for them, mm-hmm. um, to make sure they have a good income and a good job, but also a good life outside of work. And and we spend so much of our time at work that 
it's our responsibility as an employer to, you know, invest in those people. And that, and I had done that yeah. and I said, okay, I think my work is kind of done here. Sure. What else, what else, what other hills do I have left to climb here? Yeah. Um, so that was a big part of it, but also just work for us as, as entrepreneurs or as leaders, your work can become an idol really quickly mm. where you get to be, um, solely identified by the title on your business card in your company. And That's I was, good. I was, click rain Paul. And that was my whole identity. And I'm, I'm much more than that. And so for me, I felt, all right, it's, I need to redefine myself because I'm a dad and a husband and a lot of other things. And, and I spend a lot of time as morbid as this may sound, just thinking about my death and how I want to be remembered legacy and yeah. how I want to be eulogized. Um, and at that time, I'm like, man, if I die, people are going to come and John Meyer's going to come to my visitation he used to say paul ran a really good business man he was a good business guy and that just felt very hollow to me to hmm. be remembered in that way so i'm like well, how else can i make deeper impact in this world in this brief time i have on this earth and uh, i sign after sign just kept leading me towards running for this office hmm. not necessarily being the mayor but running for this office yeah because i mean I, I honestly thought, okay, when I got in, I maybe have a chance to win, but I probably won't. Yeah. You know, there's there's other good candidates and and that's okay. I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run with integrity and and do this. But thinking uh, if it doesn't work out, uh that ship has sailed and I'm gonna redefine my next chapter and and here we are, two and a half years later. Well, and I'm that's one thing I admire about you is you were all in on that, right? I know that, yeah. you know, maybe behind the scenes details but you had sold your position in the company if you were if you lost the race there was no going back you had made that commitment both to yourself and the team mm -hmm. well i was as i said it, it it became clear it was just time for me to move on i think some founders and companies uh overstay their welcome too mm -hmm. where it's it's like i felt i was the right guy to take this thing from a to b but we needed someone else to take it from b to c and the phrase i sometimes use is you know it's better to be gone, not forgotten instead of forgotten and not gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I think it was, it was time for me to move That's on good. and it was time to pass the baton to the, you know, the, some other great leaders we had in the company said, okay, it's your responsibility now to shepherd this thing forward. We've built a good thing. I've done all I can here and I want you to grow it. And you see that with, with some, I'll, I'll pick on Facebook. I'll pick on Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, you know, that, that guy, um, I think he's, it's probably time for him to, yeah. to step aside. You know, um, he, he obviously took it from A to B. He took it from yeah. A to A to R. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. time to pass it to someone yeah, else. it's a different era. And so I think that's an important uh, self-awareness aspect that business owners have to have is to realize when is the right time for me to step aside and send the elevator down to the next team. Yeah, I like that line. So if, someone, if a leader's listening to this and they might be feeling that kind of inkling in their gut, how did you sort of gut check that? Was it conversations with friends and mentors or how... That was a big decision. There was no going back. So how did you know? Or did you just say, I'm committed? Well, I'm a, I'm a worst case scenario guy. I always play a worst case scenarios. And like, what's the worst case scenario if I leave this business? So I leave it and I lose the mayor's race and I lose terribly and I embarrass myself in the process. And I have to go, um, you know, maybe get a job at a plant somewhere, or I have to go be a marketing specialist for some organization. It's like, that's fine. Yeah. I can, you know, deal with that. Cool. And so I think to me, uh, it's very hard to, to find a scenario that's unrecoverable from. And that's why I'm very, um, I have a high risk tolerance. Yeah. I'm very comfortable taking risks. 
And I think, you know, I needed to in order to jump in this office. I think each day in this office as mayor, you have to have a high risk tolerance. And that's not to say you're gambling with, you know, the taxpayer's money and you're doing things that are going to put the the city in peril. But every day you're faced with literally hundreds of decisions and you have to be able to just make them quickly and go quickly. And if you have a risk averse and you have to think and weigh and ponder every decision 50 ways, you will just be handicapped. Yeah. I appreciate your vulnerability on that. And so I'm going to ask you, because I feel like this is maybe a shift in year two of your mayorship from year one. I'm a people pleaser and I want like everyone to be my friend, right? I feel like my friendships go probably wider than than deep. But um, how do you adjust to that role where just immediately when you walk in a room, some people aren't going to like you, Yeah, right? That's politics. You're a mayor. Uh, I felt like maybe that was a harder thing at first when you first took the job. Yeah, I, I think, well, Deep down, every human wants to be loved. I mean, that's just an innate, that's just an innate part of of how God made us. We want to be loved, and we want to be liked and appreciated. And and in politics, especially in 2020, if if you want to be liked, you need to go sell ice cream because this is not a job where people are going to like you. <laughs> yeah. And um, and you, I've gotten comfortable, really comfortable with that. Probably too comfortable okay. at some points where. Um, we are living in a time right now, John, where this country is just angry. There's so much anger. And a lot of that anger is directed towards elected officials because we are seen as the people driving, for instance, right now, COVID response. Mm-hmm. We didn't create COVID. We didn't bring COVID. We are doing the absolute best we can right now in this issue with something that I never in a million years would have ever thought this would yeah. be something we'd be yeah. working on. And any decision you make, it's it's... It expires in like two it, days. It's yeah. terrible. And yeah. and, and it, there's so many differing opinions that people are angry no matter what. And COVID aside, they're, they're angry at masks. They're angry at police. They're angry at Black Lives Matter. They're angry at our presidential choices. Uh, they're angry that my kids can't be in school, that my kid has to wear a mask. You're taking my liberties. I mean, there's just anger about mm-hmm. everything. Yep. So I've realized that that anger, that oftentimes it's directed towards me, it's really not the, I'm not the source of their anger. They're angry at, that their kid can't be at school. Mm-hmm. They're angry that they aren't getting the support from their employer that they think they should be in. There's a lot of things driving that anger, but I just become the, the kind of the brunt, getting the brunt to that. And that's okay because that's what you sign up for in this role. Yep. Um, it's when you lose the empathy that that's a problem. So when people are angry at you and you show that you can't relate or understand yeah. to the yep. source of thing, that's where people start to get really upset. Uh, that's where I, in some ways, see a lack of that with some politicians, uh, you know, maybe even on the federal level, where they don't show the level of empathy that I think people want to see um, right now, that they can relate to what Joe Citizen is going through at yeah. this time. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, we'll come back to some of that, but I want to talk about, I think you were seen as a, you know, actually both of our final two choices in the election, a, a breath of fresh air for Sioux Falls and for the city. Um, and I look at, as a, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, the way we I run our company here and we do it at Lemonly, um, you approached the, the, the mayor office with some very intentional things right away, like some of that prep work, things like the one Sioux Falls sort of mantra, the core values that you wanted to instill, um, adding new jobs like the director of technology and innovation. So talk through some of that planning when you you know, you run with a with a plan and a platform, but then once you win, now what? Yeah, it's it's interesting because when you run for office, you maybe think you know what changes need to happen, and then you get behind the curtain and you see, and 
that can totally shift. Sure. But one thing I knew was going to have to happen was going to be an intentional focus on the culture within the city of Sioux Falls. And I know you're a huge culture guy, as yeah. am I, because what we're seeing with all the the gray wave, as they call it, or all the boomers that are retiring is um, a huge exodus in leadership in thousands of years. For me, thousands of years of experience are walking out the door in the next four years. I got 25% of my workforce in the city is retiring in the next four to five wow. years or retirement eligible, most of which that be take retirement. 450 or how many? That'll be about 300 people okay. and thousands of years of experience and a lot of law enforcement officers, firefighters. So I knew I was facing that when I came in. And how am I going to recruit people to want to come work for the city when I'm competing with Lemonly and Sanford Health and Raven Industries and Mid-Continent. And now in this remote culture, I'm competing with everybody. Why would you want to come work in city government, man? So I had to create a culture or try to, and we're trying to build a culture that makes us a great employer to work for. Um, And it's whether it's, you know, a focus on innovation or investing in employee engagement tools to make sure people are engaged at work, changing some of our benefits as, as simple as moving to casual dress which is rare for a government <laughs> sure. entity, but you know, people wear jeans, things like that. Uh, the culture really needed to shift and has shifted. Uh, and then I think we are becoming a more competitive employer in terms of not only our comp, but a place where people say, hey, that's a fun place to work. And not only that, the mission of working for government, it's really exciting because when you see change happening um, and you know you are part of that, it's one of the most rewarding yeah. things uh, cool. that you can you can experience. I think you made a comment at some point about, you know, there's probably eventually a ceiling or a, you you weren't going to be able to scale ClickRain to the amount of impact that you can have here in the city where you have over 1,500 employees. Um, talk about that because I think that inspires you too is you can really make change. It does. It does. And I, you know, I have a lot of my directors and leadership team who get really frustrated with this COVID world we're living in right now. And I have to remind them, I say, there are books in, in aisles of books at Barnes and Noble or online about leadership and leading through. We are like, you're living through this. This yeah. is like your Super Bowl on yeah. how to lead through one of the most difficult times in the history of our country and lead a team. What an opportunity you've been given. Or yeah, writing history. It's, it, it's totally, it's fun. You got to look at it. Because if you say, this sucks and what a grind this is right now, if you if that mentality seeps into your head, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the battle. But if you wake up each day saying, man, I got another amazing chance to lead these 1,300 employees through the hardest time they're ever going to probably face in their career. Yep. What a great opportunity. Hmm. And that's an opportunity that you don't have in a smaller company or private, you know, at ClickRain, it would be would have been smaller, a little bit different challenge. This is a huge challenge because not only the employees, but you got 190,000 residents that are also looking to you to say, hey, what are you doing to lead us through this time in our city, this very tense time? Um, and some may say, I wouldn't want this job for all the tea in China. And <laughs> I say, you know, bring it on and let's uh, let's see how I can do my best to try and unify the city through this. And you mentioned One Sioux Falls. That was a big part of this. Yeah. Is a city, the more unified a city is going into something like this, um, the more resilient we are yeah. so we're, we're more neighbor loving i mean people want to help their neighbors it's just the culture of sioux falls and i think i've never seen in my 20 years the culture of our city so tight as it is right now some may say some cities are divided more i think sioux falls is tighter than we have been historically so that turned out to be really important some of that work from year one you maybe used it 
faster than you thought you would. Did I didn't I didn't know when we'd need to dip into that bank, but I'm like, if we can unify the city and work, have the city work better with the county, the county, the school board, the school board work better with the T's, the yeah. Harrisburgs, the, like we're one kind of unit yep. that are trying to make this region better. That messaging, and it's really just messaging and marketing, saying, "Hey, yeah. rising tide lifts all boats," type yep. thing. Um, we saw it after our tornadoes, how our community united around mm-hmm. that that we had, and we've seen it now with the pandemic. So this is a real special community. I mean, it's easy for me to say that, but it really is. That's cool. So a lot of that uniting messaging, cheerleading does actually sound very similar to being a CEO of a company. On the flip side, what has surprised you the most of being mayor of Sioux Falls? You know, a few things have surprised me. You know, one, these are just very, you know, candid things. I have to sign so many (laughs) freaking documents, John. It's incredible. I mean, Every time I return to my office, there's a new stack of papers I got to sign. I'm signing off of stuff. All Are you reading them all? Of course not. I mean, like, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you, you someone can't just read tells you this is this. You sign it. You you start to know what the forms are, and, and you see who's signed ahead of you. And it's like, all right, this guy vetted through finance, legal. And and that's when you talk about delegation and trusting your team. It's like, I got a good team around me. So yep. their eyes have been on it. Not to say I'm just blindly signing yep. anything that's put in front of me, but um, you, you sign a lot of documents. You also have an incredibly difficult schedule and calendar because back to your point about people um, wanting to like you, I'm probably the most accessible mayor in the history of the city. People tweet at me. They send me DMs. They hit me up on LinkedIn. Hey, can I grab coffee? I just had coffee with a young chiropractor this morning who just wanted to talk about leadership and learning. I made time for that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm such a yes guy with investing you probably enjoy in people. That type of stuff. I do. I love so it's it. It's tough to prioritize. I do. I wish I could just do that stuff all day because it really fills my cup. So I have to do those once in a while with people. Um, but I have to say no to a lot because the schedule's super, super yeah. intense. That makes sense. Those are some of the surprises that you've had. How have you maybe grown the most? I know you're a person who sets goals. You 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 compete uh, in, in triathlons and races. So you're a person you always want to grow. How have you grown as a leader? Well, a few things. I've really learned a lot about myself last two years. One is uh, I have learned more than ever before the importance of hiring well and delegating and turning people loose. Because when you have a $600 million budget and, you know, the size of the city now that we're growing into, you have to trust the people that are working for you to be making the right decisions. And 80% 80% of how you would have done it is good enough. Mm-hmm. And if you if you try and micromanage in this job, you're gonna you're gonna lose your mind. So I think I've gotten better at delegating and 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 hiring people and choosing the right people, but I've also gotten extremely thick skinned. We talked about that mm-hmm. early, where uh, that's a good quality to have. It's when that skin gets so thick that your empathy is gone. That's yeah. that's where it gets to be difficult. And how then do you the, keep that in touch to make sure you still have that? As well as you have friends, family. You know, it's by having those, like we talked about, I have those coffees, those one-on-one. I have every Friday, excuse me, the first Friday of every month, I have mayoral open office hours. Anybody in the city can sign up mm-hmm. for a 20-minute slot with me. And I get some interesting conversations, man, some of the people that come in there. And it's a way for me to keep in touch with, like, the the boots-on-the-ground people of this community. Because I find myself, you know, going to a lot of boardrooms and chamber meetings and, you know, executive meetings. And there's times when I need to hear from the guy who's got uh, some drug problems in his neighborhood and what he's seeing and hearing. And so when I can hear directly from them, mm-hmm. in fact, after this podcast is recorded and before my next meeting, I'm going to drive past 
what I think is a drug house. And a guy wrote me about this morning. I just want to see it firsthand what he's experiencing. I'm going to go knock on his door, see if he's home. I want to talk to him. So I try to do some of that stuff to make sure I'm staying connected with the people that I'm serving. And then the third thing, and a phrase I have to remind my team a lot is, is just don't, don't swing at pitches in the dirt because mm-hmm. there's a lot of those thrown at you. And, you know, in, in, in baseball world, you're never going to get a good hit when you swing at a pitch in the dirt. And yeah. it's the same in life. There's a lot of people who want to throw pitches in the dirt and you just lay off them. Those are balls, man. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's been good advice for me and, and something I try and heed every day. And so that kind of, that's good because that sounds kind of like politics a little bit. And you did say off air, like you've learned that I'm not a politician. Yeah. How do, how do you separate those things? Because in, in theory, a mayor is not as a nonpartisan position. But in our world today, it becomes very political. Right. I, it was a huge compliment. The other day, I had a guy, pretty well-known guy in this community come out to me. And he's like, I don't even know. He said, are you a Republican or a Democrat? He said, and I'm like, well, that's probably one of the best compliments I could get <laughs> because I'm an M. I'm a mayor. And, and some uh, mayoral offices in larger cities become very partisan. And here, there's no Republican or Democrat way to fill potholes or, you know, clean your wastewater or anything like that. It's just the work that has to be done. But I'm not a politician, man. I enjoy leading people. Uh, I enjoy building teams. I enjoy setting goals and getting things done. But when it comes to like the gamesmanship of politics, Mm -hmm. I'm not very good at that. Interesting. And and I don't enjoy it. Did you think you wanted to? Or did the role teach you that you didn't like it? I I think everybody thinks it'd be... it'd be easy to do, to be a politician, yeah. right? And just, oh, you got to kiss some babies and you smile. There's so much stuff behind the scenes that, okay, if I do this, I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you a real example, ballot boxes. So we have a, in our city right now, our, our county auditor wants to place ballot boxes in our libraries, which for absentee ballots. Sounds like a good idea. Makes sense to me, yeah. I never saw a plan, was never shared with me. It just kind of came out that we wanted to do this. And and in this environment, when the postal service is getting attacked and all these other things, I need to know if we're going to put ballot boxes on city property, how are they secured? Are they monitored? Are they staffed? I mean, I need to know the integrity of those yep. because that's a political landmine sure. absentee ballots right sure. now. And so I knew by standing up and saying, we're not going to do that right now because I don't even know the plan or anything. I got totally roasted and skewered by I'm trying to suppress uh, voter turnout and it's it's a Trumpian strategy trying to make yeah. it harder for yeah. people to vote. And I knew that was going to happen, but it's the right thing because I need to know that there's integrity in that process before I roll it out to the. So politically, the right thing to do would have been, yeah, let's do this because yep. no one would probably have objected. But Again, not being a politician, I'm like it, it maybe is politically the right thing, but the, the the proper thing and the safe and secure thing is to let's get a plan together first. And maybe we pilot this at like one or two locations this cycle sure. and then roll it out later. So what would you say to people who then maybe interpret that as like, well, Pierre is calling his office or DC is calling his office. Like there's behind those are strings that are being pulled. I know. And that's that's unfortunate that people would think that. I mean, I I don't take direction from the feds or the state on anything we do here. I take it from the, the citizens who reach out to me, yep. our city council. Uh, and so the hard part, John, is that as a Republican, people know I'm a Republican, you get painted with a really broad brush. Mm-hmm. So like, of course you want to dismantle the postal service. Of course you want to build a border wall. Of course you want to do all these things. You're a Republican. And it's like, well, it's just like saying if you're uh 
if you've met one baseball player, you've met them all. Well, there's a lot of different types of baseball players. Sure. There's a lot of different types of police officers. A cop is not a cop is not a cop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Republican is not a Republican. There's very different views it's and perspectives. About, yeah. yeah. And so it's important, I think, for me to always let people know that my people that I take my cues from are the 190,000 people of the city, what I think is best for them. Yeah. They may not always think that, but they have to know that my interests are very pure and that I yeah. want to leave this city better than I found it when I you know, first sat in the chair. Yeah, that's good. And so how do you, like in an issue with COVID this spring, how do you separate those things? Because a lot of people did have opinions. A lot of people did have agendas. And you know, you're trying to do what's best for the 190,000. Someone else is trying to do what's best for the state. Yeah. How do you separate those things? Well, back to the empathy discussion, you have to say, hey, I hear you. I agree with, with you in theory. But here's why that won't work. Here's why your agenda in wanting to do this won't work right now. Makes you make some great points. It mm-hmm. has some merit. But just I need you to trust your elected leadership right now that this is the route we're headed. Sure. Um, but your opinion matters. I want you to keep it coming because I'm relying on it. When you frame it up to someone that way, instead of just saying, no, can't do it. Yeah, that's that's a back. dumb idea because that will never work. Well, that just digs people in further. So Political discourse and having like discourse where you can agree with pe- people or disagree and still go out for a beer afterwards is really getting to be a, a lost art. You know, yeah. we talk about being disagreeing without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. That's really hard right now because if I disagree with you on something, and especially if it's a big issue, that means I hate you. Yeah, I hate you on that issue, and it's like, it's whoa, not whoa, whoa, it's not it's just not true. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure we disagree on a lot of issues. And that's okay. That's what makes our country great mm-hmm. is we have a lot of issues that we work through together and the best ones kind of bubble to the top. You know, we talk about core values. We got them on the wall here at Lemon Lee. And I know you have them in the city. After days like that, where you do have those disagreements, how do you reset or sort of kind of realign your compass to your true north? Is it your faith, your family? How do you make sure that you're still sticking true to who you are? Well, uh, my mental and physical health is is really important to me. And it's been it's taken some bruises. I yeah. mean, physically, I have tremendous back pain that I've been dealing with since I got in office, mm-hmm. and I've I've treated it with almost every strategy possible. And it's pretty much stress. It's stress induced back pain that I've been dealing with. And the only time it goes away, John, it's really interesting, is when I'm actually out of town, like physically out of town, when I'm going out to Deadwood or it's like you can you know, go on because take the hat off a it's like bit. i'm not in this city it's yeah. really weird so if you think <laughs> stress does not impact your body absolutely yeah. does yeah. and so what i find is i have to just intentionally find ways to shut off the job i have to get away from my phone i have to get out of town once in a while um in a in a secret fashion so people don't know it so i can just um recharge and re-energize and then i spend a lot of time you know spiritually just you know praying and reading scripture and trying to take direction from, you know, from, uh, in my case, the, you know, the Lord and the higher power that I, uh, uh, that I serve to help give me the strength each day to do, to do the job. Yeah. I uh, still try to stay physically active. I still work out three or four times a week. I think that's really important for your physical and mental health too. Yeah. So those are a few things that I'm doing. And you made the comment earlier that, you know, this has been tough on on everyone's mental health, and maybe we don't even know some of the impacts of that yet. You know, we're still going through this. What could what would you say to someone listening to prioritize that? Well, I would say that uh, I'll, I'll speak specifically about the school topic and the school conversation. Yeah, it's um, is there are a lot of 
there are a lot of things we don't know yet about the mental ramifications that some of these school decisions are having on our kids. Yeah. Especially kids that are in those vulnerable ages. And kids need to be in school for a variety of reasons, uh, mentally, some for nutritional needs. Uh, you know, one out of every five child abuse reports comes in through a school mm. where the teacher sees it or something. So when kids aren't in school, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of challenges that um, aren't being met because of that. And I'm seeing it with not only the mental health of some kids. Uh, I was mentioning to you before we started today, I was talking to a guy who they've been in school for a week, and he said, Paul, there's just a darkness and a heaviness in the school, in the hallway. It's weird. He's like, we are going to need mentors more than ever right now because kids are struggling, even though they're back in school. There's just this fear. There's this, and they model the way of what they see. So if yeah, we, totally. we, if we as adults are showing some hysteria and some worry and showing depression, and we have to be strong for our kids because they're going to model what they see in us. And so if we put on our, our positive pants and say, "Hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this, kids. It's going to be just fine," and they will take that attitude into their into their school and you know have an impact on the kids around them. That's good. Um, so before we do a little rapid fire and close out here, uh, this podcast is a, a lot of, um, people who, uh, want to learn from leaders who are leaders who want to become leaders. What would you say to some, like to someone who wants to become a leader, whether it be in politics, a CEO, I mean, you've had a couple different leadership roles. What's your message to them? I would say one of the things you need to become a, a strong leader is to be adaptable and to be willing to change your positions and your opinions. A lot of times, we think we have the answers to everything. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, I don't know. I thought I believed this way after three or four meetings and hearing from this group, I've changed my tune. And now I see that side. Leaders have to be adaptable. Um, that's very, very important. The second thing is you can never stop learning, Yeah. right? Growing as a person, reading books that, uh, that challenge your way of thinking. I've just got through a book called The Color of Law. Color Law talking about how the, the history of our country and the way that our country is governed and the programs that we put in place through HUD and federal programs have created a discriminatory housing climate hmm. that exists still today and has led to some of the racial and economic inequality that we see in our communities. For me, that book challenged me in incredible ways that I've never been challenged before to look at uh, that issue from an entirely different angle. So always be willing to adjust your positions and to learn, I think, is one of the most uh, you know, critical qualities of any leader. That's good. I think you, you know, I guess we wouldn't be described as digital natives. I guess not, that'd be, you know, our kids. Uh, but from your time at ClickRane, you're very adept, obviously, at social media and technology. And I think you've shown that a little bit. If people follow you on your leadership journey, you're willing to be vulnerable and share some of those stories, which I think... Um, actually gets people to buy in and, and, and follow even more closely. I think the other thing, you know, you just hit the word that I think is also important for leaders to be vulnerable with people. Uh, politicians don't have it all together. I mean, yeah. I go home and there's dog poop on my floor and my kids need help with their homework and I got bills to pay and a lawn that needs to be mowed. I'm just a dad yeah. and a regular dude. And the more you can show people that to say, listen, there's not this like callous facade that yeah. you can just... Uh, you know, throw arrows at and still a person. And yeah, well, still, you've even you know, said on cert there are certain days where maybe you wish you didn't have this job. There's days when I think we all would have that at some point in our life where you're like, man, work is a grind and mm -hmm. I'm not enjoying it. And I certainly have days like that. I think everybody does. Yeah. 
Uh, I think starting with the president on down, I think we'd all have have that experience. And so there, there's days you have that, you wake up and you're like, I don't want to go to work today. And you have two choices to make. You either bring that attitude with you to work or you overcome it and say, listen, I'm going to flush that out. I'm not going to go into work with that attitude because that's going to infect the people around me. Um, and I think too many people right now aren't making that right decision. They're mm-hmm. taking that negativity with them based yeah, on everything right. happening. And it's important to kind of put that aside and say, all right, I'm going to make the best out of today. Yeah, that vulnerability and then empathy, I think, are good good mm-hmm. themes. So a couple of rapid fire ones here at the end. You mentioned one just now, but what's a, what's a book you read recently, one that you recommend to people? Oh, uh, you know, I'm halfway through John Bolton's book, a Room Where mm-hmm. It Happened, which is really interesting, kind of to get into the uh, the inner the workings of, yeah, of the White House and things right now. You know, a book that I think for anybody listening who is maybe in the middle of a leadership journey, there's a book called Halftime. Okay. And the book is about the halftime of life, moving from su- success to significance. I think you mentioned that before you made the move. Incredibly powerful book. Because I think in our early parts of our life as younger people, the focus is career and money and house and car and like success. Yep. And you get to a point which where I got a click rain. It's like, all right, now what's my significance? Okay, success is hollow. What's what how have I moved to significance? And halftime challenges you to kind of take a look at that. That's good. Um so amidst a pandemic and a really stressful job, how do you disconnect? How do you unplug? What do you like to do for fun? Fitness. I love to I love to bike. Uh I love to run. Uh, I love to play golf once in a while if I can. I mean I love playing with my kids, but that's not always super relaxing. So if I can get away on my own and just get and get on my bike you know, and hit the open road, hit some highways or something. Yeah. Uh, I love to do that. Uh, and then, like I said, I, I go to a gym that's kind of high energy. They turn the music up. You work out for a half hour, 45 minutes. No one's talking to you. Yeah. That's a good mental. I've always wanted to ask you, it seemed like in those later click rain years when you really got into the physical exercise, was that also partly strategic? Like, I want to see if this company can run without me. Totally. It was a great distraction. Because I always saw it that way a little bit. Great distraction. So my employees started to see, because I, I got into triathlons and other things. I've done some half Ironmans and a full Ironman. I still like triathlon. And that was a good distraction for me uh, as a way to clear my head, but also a way for me to get out of the office from time to time and say, hey, Paul's doing his thing over there. So we got to run this on our yeah. own. And um, and so that was, there was some strategy to that too, for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure you look out now and you're probably really proud of how how they've handled it and super how they proud. To grow and super proud. Yeah. So on the uh, topic of pride, uh, parenting advice, you have three kids. What's a piece of parenting advice you'd give? I think we have a problem in our society where we push kids into activities way too early and way too hard. I mean, kids are in hmm. so many things so early and we put so much pressure on our kids. Yeah. Let kids be kids. Let them choose what they want to do. I was a sports guy like nuts growing up. My kids, none of them are really into sports. My son is a little bit. And I have never once pushed him to get into anything because I want him to do what he wants to do. Um, And so I think, one, lay off your kids. Let kids be kids because I think we're missing that. Two, uh, and I'm terrible at this, but kids are uh, also becoming less and less social creatures because of what screens are doing to our kids and what technology is doing to our kids in in screen time. And I push my kids hard to stay off those and uh, but i you know like us all we we fail my kids spend plenty of time playing games and on their phones and so i think it's important for parents to model the way because when you're looking at your phone and you say hey get off your phone and i'm on it as i'm telling you to do that yeah i'm uh, guilty of that yeah happens to me all the time so 
That's important. And three, I think we got to remember they're watching us all the time. They are modeling the way of whatever they see. So the positivity that you bring home after a long day at work, they will model. If you're crabby uh, and you're angry at your wife, they will be short with your wife or your their mom because it's all right because dad did it. Yep. So yep. They, they're just sponges, man. <laughs> yeah, you learn that, especially when their little mm-hmm. language starts popping up. Mm-hmm. You start to learn what, I must say that a lot because now she's saying that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we asked this question and we hire at Lemonly. What's your superpower? The one thing you're better at than everyone else? Oh, my superpower. I am... I'm really good at building consensus and bringing people together. Uh, they may disagree, and but I'm, I think I'm really good at finding common ground. Sure. Uh, we saw just this week we we launched uh, or we announced a gift from the Helmsley Charitable Trust, yep, five hundred thousand dollars for this project called the Link, and that has four partners. It has Sanford Health, Avera Health, Minnehaha County, and City of Sioux Falls. And you talk about four <laughs> difficult groups to wrangle, not because they're difficult people, but just way different entities, different business models, getting us all together for one cause to help people with addiction and mental health challenges. Um, Really proud of that work that we've done there. Cool. That's good. That's a tough one. And that's really relevant in your job. Uh, And then lastly, the question we always ask, who are the leaders that inspire you? Ones that maybe you studied, ones you know, mentors? Oh, great point. Uh, Great question. A lot of times, you know, you, you, want to list people you've you've heard or famous authors or whoever. Uh, there's a gentleman named John Gordon who's authored some books who I just, if you follow him on Twitter, he's just a positive dude. He just brings so much positivity. He wrote a book called The Coffee Bean. And really mm-hmm. the, the premise of that book is um, when, when water starts to boil, we're living in a boiling water environment right now, the egg, the egg will become hardened. Uh, the carrot will become weak and soft, but the coffee bean can permeate the whole water and change the entire water. And so we need more coffee beans because there's a lot of eggs and carrots right now in this environment. So he's one, but there's a local guy here in Sioux Falls. His name is Rich McCurris. And Rich is an incredible leader. And he's someone that I look up to. And um, he would be embarrassed if he knew I was saying this, but he's got a heart like a lion for this community. He's doing so many things to help the vulnerable in this city that people never even see or know. Hmm. And in fact, just last night, this guy is busy. He stopped by my house and brought me a candy bouquet just to cheer me up and tell me to keep pressing on. And he's got a million things to do. And he took time to do that. To me, that's leadership. That's the type of people that I really admire. Yeah. That's, that's been a, a constant thread in this show is these people behind the scenes mm-hmm. that really bump and nudge and, and push leaders forward because they are actually leaders in their own right. Right. Bingo. Yeah, that's great. Well, Paul, thanks for the time today. I know you're a busy guy and this was so fun to, to yeah, man. sit down and talk. We could talk for a long time. I'm oh, sure. I know we so could. Next, uh, next show, we'll do it again. We'll do a part two someday. Yeah, all right. Take care. Thanks. So that was our conversation with Sioux Falls Mayor Paul Tenhaken. Thanks to Paul for his time and for really opening up about what it's like to be the mayor of Sioux Falls. Remember, you can go to leadmorepodcast.com to see all of our past episodes with write-ups and, and links to the show. And of course, you can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So go and subscribe now.